Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the rest stop. It's April 1st, 2021, Thursday night. Brad Restituto, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad the Believer. Got a good show for you tonight. And we come to you every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. Watch us live on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football or on my Twitter page at Brad the Believer or Facebook Brad Restituto. Spencer Ostrovsky joins me as always. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. Opening day in Major League Baseball, we'll give you some scores and some highlights from some of the action or, or some uh, key points later in the show. We've got an NBA card tonight, of course, previewing the Final Four, getting underway this weekend after missing the entire, entire college basketball tournament last season. Uh, some NFL free agency, NFL pre-draft stuff, and, and Spencer's got some good stuff in store for you later in the show tonight. Spence, let's kick it right off with uh, the NBA scoreboard tonight. There's one game still in progress. It's the second half of the TNT doubleheader in L.A. Staples Center. The Clippers taking on the Denver Nuggets. The Clippers are currently down 81-70 with about 11.30 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Some other scores tonight that went final in Cleveland. The Cavaliers fall to the 76ers 114-94. The Pistons get a home win against the Washington Wizards 120-94. To 91. Russell Westbrook, another triple double for the Wizards in a loss. Uh, the Hornets, they go down to the Nets tonight, and tonight was the debut of new Brooklyn Net, LaMarcus Aldridge. James Harden sat out of tonight's game, but the Nets get the win over the Hornets 111 89. The Miami Heat get a home win over the Warriors 116 109. Jimmy Butler had 22 points 
eight assists and six rebounds. Steph Curry in the loss had 36 points, 11 rebounds. The Orlando Magic get a road win tonight, 115-110 over the New Orleans Pelicans. The new look Magic after all those trades. The Pelicans were without Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson tonight. The Magic get the win in overtime, 115-110. The Hawks get a win in double overtime on the road against the Spurs, 134-129. That brings the Hawks to 500 on the year, 24-24. and A great night statistically from Clint Capella. He had 28 points, 17 rebounds, and five blocks. Spence, you want to get to some of the highlights of uh, tonight's action and go over some of the stuff that you saw? And by the way, before you do that, Spence, a good friend of mine you can see in the background here, you've seen him on the chat before, Dave Perry. He's in town from Florida. Uh, He had a little bit of – a little bit of nice luck on a parlay tonight, Spence. He hit a three-teamer, had the Magic plus four and a half. He had the Brooklyn Nets, I believe, uh, minus two and a half or three and a half, and then also the 76ers minus nine and a half. It was pretty much a no sweat until the Orlando game that went to overtime, but the Magic did end up hanging on and winning and covering that spread. So uh, congrats to my friend Dave and a nice little hit on a parlay ticket. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll start off here in Orlando in overtime. Uh, again, the Pelicans are not a very serious basketball team. They have no interest in actually winning games. And this one is definitely proof of that. But they kept Terrence Ross around, which a lot of fans, you know, probably weren't too inclined for. But he's a great player. He's a great role player and someone who, you know, maybe could stick around for a long time. Depends on what they do this offseason. We'll take a look. Ball, the magic without a lot of players all season. Here's Ross. Rising for two. He drills it. The human torch puts the magic up 111 to 109. Oh, there should have been no doubt where Steve Clifford was going with this basketball. Definitely going finding Terrence Ross off the screen. You see the roll and tough shot. Three defenders surrounding him. Woo! Yeah, so not bad at all. And a, definitely a great shot from him. Uh, we can go to that Miami Heat game. Uh, Miami's actually picking up a lot of momentum right now. As we all know, they started off the season pretty horribly. And uh, now they're catching their stride. They were a team that made the finals last year for a reason. And it's all centered around Bam Adebayo. I mean, this guy can play the position better than almost anybody in the entire league, including uh, guarding some of the best guards as well. Take a look at what Bam was able to do against Steph Curry. In the hands of Curry against Bam. The air ball. Yeah, the right man defending it. Truly incredible. And uh, Miami actually just got a recent victory over the New York Knicks. So they're trying to rise in the standings right now. And uh, they definitely have a good chance of doing so, especially because the East is just so weak. And uh, as you mentioned, LaMarcus Aldridge made his debut. Go ahead and take a look at his first bucket in a uniform for Brooklyn. We've got the chemistry tonight. We were locked in. TLC draws a crowd. Aldridge counted a three. That is a new dimension. Uh, yeah, so they ended up having a nice game. No uh, James Harden, no Kevin Durant, no problem in there. And uh, now we can go on to the Washington-Detroit game, which truly is surprising to me, I will say. Russell Westbrook had a triple-double tonight, 16 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds. He's been the center of this controversy with Stephen A. Smith saying his stats mean nothing. And, uh, you know, hopefully definitely added to his argument tonight with a 91-120 victory. Headlined by former Memphis Grizzly and Phoenix Sun, Josh Jackson. Take a look at some of the highlights. I think he had 35 night. Tried to go inside to Len. Piston swipe it on the run. Josh Jackson jams. Another feel-good hoop. 
very difficult. 14-8 Pistons. Josh Jackson with the backup long gun. It goes. Corey Joseph drives it, nearly lost it. Topside bounce to Josh Jackson to the basket for a score. It's 53-42 Pistons. Josh Jackson from the wing for three, and it's through. Jeremy Grant drives it. Shovels to Josh Jackson for the corner gun that goes. Josh Jackson takes the handoff for Mason Plumley. Josh fires, fills it. He can't miss. Nah. George, we were so happy to get him. Pistons get a steal. Another deuce for Josh Jackson. You know, Spence, you, you talk about a squad like the Pistons. They only have 14 wins on the season. But if you were to ask a lot of people before the season to, to evaluate rosters um, just on paper, I, I think a lot of people would say the Pistons would be at the bottom of that list, talent-wise, compared to the rest of the teams in the NBA. Uh, but they have really played hard night in and night out. Only 14 wins to show for it, but I, I guarantee their against the spread number is much better than 14. And they really are a tough team to go against every night because even though they are outmatched a lot of the time, they play so hard and they're in games that they necessarily shouldn't be in when you look at the matchups. Uh, so I don't know what they're doing over there, but it seems like what they're doing is moving them in the right direction. If they can have uh, another good draft or two and maybe move around some pieces, this team seems quite competitive. And you look at a roster like the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have the number one overall pick, who have Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. I know he's been banged up. But roster-wise, they seem to have a lot more talent than a team like the De Detroit Pistons, but yet they're awful and they don't even have 10 wins on the season. So go figure. Yeah, I also am a big fan of the Pistons, what they're doing. They're actually really close to having one of the best off-seasons in the NBA period. The Jeremy Grant signing, he's already basically at a va more value than his contract is worth, and they have him for a long term now. And they still have three years after this one, so they just signed him. On Well, if they hadn't signed Killian Hayes, or drafted, I should say, and they'd just gone for Tyrese Halliburton, I mean, we'd be talking about a completely different basketball team. Killian Hayes was never supposed to be a top 10 pick, in my opinion. If you listen to my scouting analysis, the guy can't use his left hand. If that's the basis of you as a player, then you're going to struggle a lot. And even before his bad, bad, bad hip injury, the same injury that Isaiah Thomas suffered that ended his career, uh, he was one of the worst rookies in the NBA period, getting significant playing time. Uh, but I do like Sadiq Bey. So if they could have just drafted Tyrese, uh, gotten Sadiq Bey, and um, kept, uh, I can't think of his name now, he's the shooting guard, Luke Kennard. This is a basketball team that will be in the playoffs in two years from now. They had a new front office come in. I think he got a little overly aggressive when it came to this year, uh, trying to fix it all at once. And, you know, not everyone's perfect, especially with the rookie GM. Hopefully he'll learn from those mistakes because he had made some of the good ones. And we'll see what they can do. But no one wants to play them on a nightly basis. Even though it seems like an easy victory, they're always good to just push you to your limits. And they've had a few decent wins this entire season. Of course, not going to make the playoffs. But that's not always the uh, number one main goal every year for every franchise. You'd say on the opposite end, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who started off the season as one of the hotter teams in the league, have just kind of phoned it in for the rest of the season. And I'll show you one highlight from this one. It was a blowout from, from the, you know, off the jump. Uh, it was the Thibault who actually was a part of those trade docs for Kyle Lowry. Uh, and they said absolutely no way they wouldn't send him anywhere. And it's probably a big reason why. 15. 
Oh, and Howard blocking the shot of Sexton. He's looking for the call to the whistle. Silent. Thibel running the floor, and he slams for two. Wow. Wow, what speed right there. Philadelphia, obviously, is still just chipping away at the season. They'll be looking to take on the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs at some point and maybe make a run, and it's going to have to come from a healthy Joel Embiid who comes back tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, well, there's lots of discussions that we'll talk about later. But, yeah, that was some of the big action tonight for the NBA. Spence, let's keep it in the NBA before we move on. Kevin Durant gave a press conference today, and I, I didn't get much excerpts from what was said, but I know there's been some controversy in the news about him getting into Michael Rappaport, the actor's DMs, and uh, saying some offensive stuff. Tell us what you know about uh, that interaction. And, and Kevin Durant, is, he keeps coming across with social media very – sensitive Spence I mean the guy is getting to spats with fans with celebrities it's like the guy can never just let something roll off his shoulders he seems to take a lot of things so personally what can you tell us about this situation with Michael Rappaport yeah so this actually this whole situation started from a TNT interview after the game and Charles Barkley kind of asked him a long-winded question and Kevin Durant responded with yeah and Charles took offense to that and he felt like he didn't ask him a fair question. And Michael Rappaport kind of criticized him and said, come on, man, like the media needs these answers. It's what fuels the industry. And I actually think this connects to that conversation I had about Russell Westbrook and Stephen A. Smith, that these guys aren't willing to hear like a different opinion or for someone to challenge them about their playing. And I think these guys have to realize that that is a part of why they make so much money. The media drives the interest in these leagues. If they were only making money from like selling tickets in stadiums, they'd be making maybe one-tenth of what they're making now. It's really us, like people on podcasts, radio shows, TV shows, all of us are the ones who make the interest and drive, you know, money. So again, Kevin Durant is just overly sensitive about these kinds of things. I think he needs to realize how important some of these things are and also just not freak out when someone says that he's not the greatest of all time or if he's not giving the greatest answers but that's been going on forever we have the burner account story which is an all-time classic in sports and it's not going to anytime soon he's a very sensitive man and we've never seen that out of one of the greatest players of all time if you look at the mount rushmore these guys have always been in control of their own narratives they've been very even keel leaders in their communities and kevin Durant is just not that He's kind of a teenage boy in a freakishly athletic body who nobody can stop on the basketball court. Spence, I'm reading some of this stuff now. Uh, I went on to TMZ, and uh, it's it's definitely a lot of stuff that can't be repeated, <laughs> even on a podcast. Um, it's <laughs> it's pretty insane. Uh, did, did you have a chance to, to read this entire DM conversation? Yeah, it's pretty inappropriate. So uh, I agree with you there. There was something about going out for steak, but it was like an innuendo for fighting. I, I have no idea. It's very childish. But, but we know also that Michael Rappaport makes as much money as he does because he is so controversial. So when you play into these kinds of things, you're just feeling his fame and helping him out. We talked about this so many times on the podcast for so many different reactions. When people have these harsh ones, like the shoes on last episode about Little Nas X, I mean, you're just well, you're not going to be able to buy those shoes anymore, but you've only added to Little Nas's ex's fame by interacting with him on social media, good or bad. It's the same thing here. Kevin Branch is just too silly to understand the principles of how that works. Spence, do you have any opinion on Rappaport going public with these private DMs? Um, was K- was KD so over the line that uh, 
Rappaport was right to go public, or is this something that he's Rappaport's just trying to get more in the news to get more attention to his name as well? I, I think that's a huge part of it, the whole attention thing, of course. And he's an actor, so he kind of knows how to play into those things. But they're called direct messages. They're not called private messages. Anytime you send something to somebody, you have to know that it's physically possible for those things to come out. So you can't act like a child or a, a barbarian, not that Kevin Durant was, but you know what I mean? You can't be, become, become completely unhinged because you're having a private conversation with somebody. Private is what I say on social media. It's just bound to happen. It can either be text messages. Uh, it, it never ends. Like everything you do can be digitized back to you now in today's age. Spence, as we're wrapping up our NBA discussion, now that LeBron James is looking to continue to miss extended time with an injury, um, Joel Embiid has missed some time with an injury. Kevin Durant missed all kinds of time. Let's talk about how the MVP race is lining up in the NBA as we're coming down kind of the home stretch of the season. Really, it's kind of the availability at this point of guys that are going to be able to be on the floor and and contribute to their teams. In my opinion, James Harden should be right there in the discussion. I know he put a sour taste in people's mouths the first month of the season with his antics with Houston coming over to Brooklyn, but Statistically, he's been a monster. And um, he's uh, he's just been out of his mind, Spence, with uh, with the numbers he's put up. And, and Brooklyn's winning games with him, you know, leading the charge. No, yeah, without a doubt. So the thing that I think everybody has to realize is that the people who vote on MVP – they, they are people just like you and me. There's actually quite literally no difference. In some cases, I would believe, because we don't know who all the voters are, uh, that they don't watch nearly as much basketball as you or I. There's no objective way to choose that. So each of them will have their own metrics and ideology of what it means to be MVP and how many games you have to play to do that. I will say, at least for Joel Embiid and LeBron's case, they've never missed, like an MVP has never missed as many games as them or percentage-wise, or I think just physically like 16-plus games. So that will be against them. I, if Joel Embiid comes back on Saturday and is as dominant as he has been throughout this entire season, I still believe he deserves the MVP regardless of how many. Now, if he if his production tailors off just even slightly or if he misses any more games, then he's got to be out of the race. LeBron James, in my opinion, being out four weeks, that's automatic. He's out of it, unfortunately, even though he's been having not his best season of his career, but a memorable one at that. Uh, And right now, I mean, as it stands, Jokic is the MVP. He's been the most consistent. They weren't winning in the beginning, but now that the winning is coming along, I think they're blowing out the Clippers at halftime. And I think he was also just in the MVP conversation, regardless of Joel Embiid and LeBron existing there. On the James Harden front, I'm also going to say, no, he's not going to win a VP. He will get votes and he'll be towards the top, but no way should he ever deserve the most valuable player after what he did in Houston in the first month. Coming in out of shape, not being a good teammate, saying he had done everything he could for the franchise when he obviously didn't. That has to factor in, at least if I were to have a vote in that, I would probably put him at number five. Yes, has he been just absolutely amazing, but so is Russell Westbrook, although I guess the the real true difference here is that James Harden has impacted winning, which is, you know, a big part of people's criteria overall, but he's nowhere near my actual, like, first place spot. He just doesn't deserve it as a person. (laughs) Spence, the Clippers have drawn kind of close to the Nuggets here in the fourth quarter, 
They've outscored them 13 to five so far in the fourth with 520 left. The Nuggets are still leading 86 83. It looks like the starting lineup for the Nuggets tonight were Aaron Gordon at power forward, Will Barton at small forward, Michael uh, Porter Jr., Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray. I don't know if this looks like a lineup that's going to be long term, the starters for uh, Denver, but a little bit of a switch up. Aaron Gordon's got 33 minutes tonight, came, came over from Orlando. He has got 14 points, six rebounds, five assists. Uh, Jokic has only 12 points tonight. Jamal Murray, 7-16 from the field, has 18 points. The, they're up 89-83 now with 5.09 left in the fourth. So what do you think about this uh, Pistons lineup, Spence, with Gordon, the addition of Gordon, and some other guys going on here? For You said Detroit Pistons? Uh, I'm sorry, the Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets. Oh, yeah. So I, Garen Gordon, I think, really does play a huge role for them. They missed out on Jeremy Grant in free agency, which was a huge, you know, deficit to their team. Uh, but ultimately, I think this is an okay alternative. RJ Hampton wasn't playing minutes for them anyways. Uh, and Gary Harris had run his course there. And yes, it does cost them a 2025 first round pick. But in a lot of ways, Gordon does more than Jeremy Grant can. Uh, just being able to, I think, guard better the four position than Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant's more of a three to one. And I think Aaron Gordon goes four to one. He adds their athleticism. Uh, you know, he, it depends on him and how much he can evolve. Uh, but really how much he can evolve defensively uh, is what it comes down to because he never really had that much pressure in Orlando because they were never expected to win anything. Anyways, they were really a gung ho group of guys who never knew how to win. They were never part of winning cultures and they just kind of grew up together, you know, as their careers kind of progressed. Uh, we'll see if it really also comes down to Jokic and his impact on the team and whether or not he can influence an Aaron Gordon so much and elevate his game, which we know the all time greats can do. Uh, to win a championship because I think they have an opportunity to do so. Maybe like a one-off. I don't see Jokic winning multiple championships, but in a very disjointed year where I think that Brooklyn may not make it to the finals healthy or any other infinite possibilities where it could be up for grabs. We saw that they beat you know the Clippers last year in a 3-1 to one deficit, but even then I think the Clippers have probably gotten worse. I think they have a worse coach, which it definitely doesn't help them. We see how inconsistent they can play regardless of who's injured because they should have, they have probably the second most talented roster in the league and they can't get it done. But when it comes to uh, Denver, I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. I think it was actually better for them not to start the season off as the one or two seed. It takes a little bit of pressure off of them and silently, but surely they're building upon something great. And I think they made some nice acquisitions as well uh, at the um, trade deadline. Spence, let's stick with basketball, but move over to the college side as we are now in the final four of men's college basketball. March Madness, we are no longer in March, uh, but the season is wrapping up. We should have the final four games this weekend, and I believe the championship game the following or the the, the Monday after this weekend, which will be this upcoming Monday. So uh, the two, the four teams left, Houston and Baylor, two teams in Texas, Baylor, a number one seed, Houston, a number two seed head coach, Kelvin Sampson, leading the Cougars to a 28-3 and regular season record. Uh, they've made their way all the way to the Final Four to take on Baylor. Scott Drew leads the Baylor squad, a 26-2 and record on the season for Baylor. Baylor sits as a five-point favorite in this Final Four matchup, the over-under 134.5. Spence, you've talked about Houston for a couple weeks now, and you really like their defense. Uh, any thoughts on how their matchup against Baylor should be a really good matchup as you've got the one and two seed on, on this side of the bracket at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Baylor versus Houston. 
Yeah, so in this game in particular, because I don't think Gonzaga versus UCLA would just be nearly as interesting. It would be one of the craziest stories ever if UCLA is able to pull off that upset, just very unlikely. But this game is significantly closer than I think people will give it credit for. We all know that Houston is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. I believe they're two based off of a few metrics that I can't think of off the top of my head. But Baylor, in addition to that, is one of the uh, defensive rebounding team so that kind of joins together obviously to make a really big problem for them I don't know what's going to happen in this game but I think the point spread is actually a little disrespectful to Houston what they've been able to do the only problem is that they're not very consistent offensively they kind of actually fuel themselves off of these offensive rebounds which is what you absolutely do not want to do but anything can happen and I would not have a ton putting money on the Houston money line could give you garnish you a ton of value and uh, I don't think there's a person in this country would tell you that it is as separated as the UCLA Gonzaga matchup and probably much more than that too. I agree, Spence. I don't think it'd be a bad bet, and I think it's going to be the better of the two matchups uh, going into this weekend. And that game, I believe, will tip off on Saturday. Is that right, Spence? Saturday? That's correct. 2.15 Pacific time, Houston Baylor. And then the night matchup will have the 11-seeded UCLA Bruins, led by head coach Mick Cronin, against the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, Mark Few, 30-0 on the season. Gonzaga's been perfect. And one of the biggest lines you'll you'll see, and, and maybe one of the biggest lines ever in Final Four history, Gonzaga is a 14-point favorite. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm, I'm guessing that's either four or five to one or more on the money line. If you like UCLA, which there's never bad value in taking that in a one-shot deal in a basketball game, you never know what could happen with injuries, with foul trouble. Uh, so it's always a little bit of value in, in, with four teams left to, to give a little action on the money line. But Gonzaga looks like a runaway train at this point. If they play their style of basketball and they play as fluidly as they did in their Elite Eight matchup, uh, they should roll through UCLA. They just got so much talent in their top eight guys that get the majority of the reps and playing time. Uh, they pass the ball so well. Uh, they run up and down the court. They're, they're physical. They do all the little things well, and that's why they're 30-0 on the season, Spence. We talked about it. This is probably uh, one of the shoe-ins, but look, nobody expected UCLA to play in the first four matchups and find themselves in the final four. So you got to give credit where credit's due for the Bruins, and they're going to expect to play their best game of the season, and they're going to need to against the Zags to come out on top and go to the championship game after Saturday's contest. So, Spence, I mean – is there any shot you you put a little little bit of juice on uh, UCLA money line just for the value? No, I, I don't really like throwing away my money. <laughs> I mean, you're totally right. I mean, there's a reason we play these games, and nothing but absolute respect for UCLA to have this kind of run that they're having. Uh, but they barely squeaked past a very injured Michigan team that would have clearly beaten them if they were fully healthy at least in my opinion. Now they're facing a Gonzaga team that, you know, I'm sure they're hoping that they're looking ahead to the finals game and they're just kind of glossing over this one. That'll be truly their greatest chance is, you know, just mentally that they won't be prepared to kind of face a full force UCLA team that I'm sure in their mind believes that they will have a chance in this game. Uh, But I think if anything, the point spread is probably a lot more desirable to go after just because of what I said, that Gonzaga may not be taking the game as seriously you know, either preparing for Houston or Baylor. There you have it. That's Spencer the Wiz. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. He also does a live radio show every Friday night on AM 1400 locally in Las Vegas. It's KSHP. It's called Delivering Sports, and you can check out Spencer's show there. 
Uh, check out his YouTube channel, Blue Milk Boys Gaming, as well. And he does a lot of stuff here around town. So check out his Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto. You can check out the rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. If you miss any part of the show live, make sure you give a like and, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's Brad the Believer. And if you miss any part of the audio and visual version and you just want to download the audio podcast of the rest stop, make sure you check out any of the podcasting platforms. Search Landry Football Conference call and the rest stop will be underneath there. Spencer the Wiz will briefly go over some scores in Major League Baseball. Today was opening day in Major League Baseball 2021. Of course, trying to put the pandemic uh, as far in the rear view as we can. Still not full capacity at stadiums, but we're moving closer towards that. A couple games still in action, both of them in the top of the eighth inning. The Chicago White Sox, they're leading the Anaheim LA Angels 3-2. The Astros, they're leading the Athletics in the top of the eighth 3-1. And the Giants in the top of the eighth inning, they have a 5-1 to one lead on the Seattle Mariners. Evan Longoria has a home run and is 2-2 two two for the Giants in that matchup. Some finals from earlier, a win by J.C. Romero for the Blue Jays in extra innings as they beat the Yankees 3-2 to two in 10. The Detroit Tigers at home in snow, snow baseball in April. The Tigers get a 3-2 to two win over the Indians, a final in 10 innings in Milwaukee. The Brewers beat the Minnesota Twins 6-5. to five. The Pirates, they get a win over the Cubs at Wrigley Field, 5-3. to three. Uh, The Phillies, they beat the Braves 3-2 to two in 10 innings. The Padres, they get their first win on the season, 8-7. to seven. Uh, Hosmer, Eric Hosmer, homers in the game for the Padres as they beat the Diamondbacks 8-7. to seven. The Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw gets the loss in opening day, one of the biggest favorites of the afternoon. The Rockies get the win eight to five. You play the Rockies on the reverse run line there. You're cashing quite a big ticket there. So the Rockies get the upset win opening day over the Dodgers. The Cardinals, they beat the Reds 11 to six. The Tampa Bay Rays, they get a one nothing victory in the one game I played today because I heard a lot about uh, Alcantara, the pitcher for the Marlins who did not give up uh, a run all spring, spring training, did not give, a, give up a run today. But once the relievers came on, the Rays hit a home run and the Marlins could not get any offense going. So that put my ticket in the dumpster. The Rays win one to nothing over the Miami Marlins. The Royals in the highest scoring game of the day, they beat the Texas Rangers 14 to 10. And a couple postponements, one due to weather, the Red Sox and Orioles will be made up tomorrow. And then the New York Mets and Washington Nationals, that game due to COVID issues uh, is postponed. Spence, uh, Tell me, are you are you a baseball guy? Do you does your family, does your dad, does he follow baseball much? Do you have a team? Do you care about opening day in Major League Baseball? Yeah, so I, I've alluded to this, but my father and I are starting a project where we're trying to determine what the greatest sports movie of all time is, and we just so happen to start with baseball because it has like by far the most movies out of all the categories. Uh, so I've actually you know reinvigorated my interest in the game i played growing up my entire life as a little kid all the way through high school i played uh just not in college i didn't really have a great medium to do it in uh but you know i think opening day is always special it was unfortunate i think to not see the president whether or not you like him or not to uh throw the opening pitch uh but that's just one of those things that we live in weird times so weird things are going to happen where that wasn't a possibility uh what i really believe is that I think baseball is going to start off really hot because we had one of the best seasons in baseball history, despite all the COVID stuff. I think at the core of it, there was more interest in the game than maybe in the past decade since the steroid era, I would even argue. And what you're going to have now is over a hundred games again. So we're going to start off hot. Everyone's going to remember all the interest they had going into it. 
And then once we're 80 games in, everyone will once again be exhausted of baseball because the season is much too long. These players, you know, want to sacrifice interest for money because there's the more games, the more TV deal advertising there is. Thus, they have bigger contracts and they have massive ones. And it's fortunate because it's not getting any time soon. The more extensions you see, I think there was a massive one today worth over $300 million. Uh, I just really don't like to see it. It's very unfortunate. Uh, I get that part of the skill of baseball is the longevity of it, like for pitchers and everything like that. I would just rather see pitchers at their greatest, you know, once you go into 80 games in the playoffs start. I think they can be a little bit of a middle ground. I think 80 games is fine. There were 60, which everyone enjoyed. Uh, but at the end of the day, the Players Association is going to have to accept that they're going to have to shave probably, I don't know, $40 million off of their contracts to make this happen. And uh, we know that money is a big perpetuator just in the world in general, and I don't see that happening. Yeah, I agree with you, Spence. We've talked about this, uh, the shortening of Major League Baseball season. I think it it would draw more interest in the game. It just gets too long when you get past 80 games, but financially, I don't know that that's something that's going to be viable or be in the cards for Major League Baseball. I mean, we talk about it year after year. Household name like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, but you really can't name more than 10 guys that are household names in the entire league of Major League Baseball, and 10 is being generous. Um, How many pitchers do we know off the top of our head that are household names besides – I mean, and we're sports fans. I I bet you there's tons of people that are casual sports fans that don't even know who Clayton Kershaw is, who may be the most recognized uh, pitcher in Major League Baseball. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. Uh, Definitely there's some guys that could be crossover – have crossover appeal in Major League Baseball. But I I don't know that the game does enough – promoting, telling these guys stories, giving them more of an appeal. Talk about, uh, you know, did they play multiple sports, which a lot of them did, and kind of highlight uh, bringing both sports together to try to bring that interest in Major League Baseball. I I don't see it happening enough. I I think we've talked about this for years, and it's tough when when the NBA has Tuesday and Thursday nights on TNT and they're they're live primetime games. I know ESPN does some Major League Baseball primetime games, but – the game is just so slow. There's not enough time to really highlight one guy and talk about him consistently during uh, a Major League Baseball broadcast. So there's tons of diehards still out there, Spence. There's old men that will never give up the, the dying love of baseball. They will defend it until their last breath, and that's fine. I respect that. Uh, but I think if you're not betting and putting money on baseball, most people, most people, and that's just how it is, they have baseball fatigue after a few games. Now, come playoff time, it's a whole new animal. It's a whole new season. But up until then, it drags along. And most people, if you if you talk to nine out of ten random people on the street uh, that aren't betting baseball and that aren't old men that have uh, deep affiliation to baseball, many will say they don't care. Yeah, and I think the core of the issue for baseball is very similar to the WNBA, which sounds a little insane. And obviously, the WNBA is on a much more micro scale, but there's not enough controversy. Uh, Well, I think the uh, Houston Astros kind of cheating scandal was probably one of the greatest things that could have happened for baseball. Uh, Just kind of like how the White Sox controversy was and how Babe Ruth pulled them out of it. It's the friction, these like Kevin Durant and Michael Rapport, right? We're, we're talking about it because they hate each other and became public and boomed up. Those kinds of storylines never make their way to social media. And uh, like I said, you know, like that's the reason that these guys make so much money in the NBA and the NFL is because of this, of these like 
articles and radio shows and Sirius XM, just having a conversation about it, analyzing it from a professional standpoint. And people just don't have that kind of desire when it, because I think probably they exist. There's probably a lot of guys in baseball that don't care about each other, but the game is so pure. It's America's game. There's no crying in baseball. You know, the famous saying, or from the, I should say movie quote that has, you know, transcended and kind of become a mainstay in baseball. Uh, it's, it's too, it's too nice. probably is the best way to put it. And anytime someone tries to do something out of, the blue like dance or wear jewelry they're immediately criticized and you know it's we got to go back to what the way it was and then they also just don't understand i don't think the owners of baseball understand the game and that no one wants to see a runner at second base during extra innings that's not the point Uh, i would even be you know in agreement with maybe shorter games as well seven innings i think those make the game even more exciting too like, don't change the fundamentals of, of the game. Just change things around it. I think that's what they should be going for. And hopefully they get closer to that point as time goes on. Because I would hate to see the game truly die at some point, which we're not close to doing at all. I uh, would just, you know, I think it could be America's pastime once again if they just kind of re-spark that interest in it with some new ideas. Spence, before we move on to some pre-NFL draft stuff, there's one more thing that happened in college basketball today that's worth uh, noteworthy. Roy Williams, head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels, after 30-plus years coaching, has retired uh, his coaching career. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if it's big-time shocking news. I mean, when when you've coached over 30 years, um, it shouldn't really surprise anyone when it's time to hang them up. I mean, you still have guys like Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Boeheim that have been around the game uh, for decades and decades. But Roy Williams, huge name, huge university, North Carolina, retiring. Any thoughts on who could be the successor at North Carolina? Is it going to be a, a possible alum or anything that you've heard through the grapevine, Spence? Yeah, I have no idea. And I don't think the school does either. And I think they're going to be sitting on this for a while. So at least March Madness ends where all the craziness kind of dies on. They can see the field. of, But it, it's not an easy hire. And whoever takes the job will probably be fired a couple of years later. Just <laughs> stepping into those shoes is pretty much an impossible scenario. And it'll take a couple of years for people to, you know, other coaches to realize what they direction they truly want to take North Carolina in because I don't think anyone was expecting this so anybody who takes the job is going to be scrambling or maybe I'm wrong uh, but I think an alumni probably would be a really good hire it's probably what they're going to go for to kind of keep the train running to remember those old times before they go into a completely different direction because they just haven't been very good in the past few years and that's perfectly fine he obviously has a great resume behind him and I'm very happy for him that he's come to this conclusion and I wish other coaches would kind of do that as well so that they can enjoy the end of their life and that there is life outside of basketball. But, you know, I think being a college coach is such an interesting place to be in and why they stay so much longer than NFL guys is because you're not just teaching them about the game. You're teaching them about being a man. A lot of these guys, you know, some of them or I shouldn't say a lot, but some of them, you know, don't have father figures or someone to discipline them at all. And it kind of instills those values in them. Some guys probably exit college a little early with aspirations playing professional when they know they can't just because of their egos. And there's always going to be that. But I love the stories of the four-year guys who will always think back of, you know, their playing days with those guys, the bonds that they made and how it shaped them just moving forward in whatever professional career they end up choosing. So I think he probably has so many of those memories that he'll carry with him, but Hopefully he can finally get some rest now. He doesn't have to stress about game plans every day and recruiting because it truly is a year-round job, uh, which is probably even more difficult than some NFLs who have higher structures to do those kinds of intermediate work for them when they do a lot of it. And, uh, you know, he'll always remember it as kind of like 
the top 10 coaches I think in college basketball. That's Spencer the Wiz. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. Spence, we talked about it on Tuesday, some of the trade action that the Dolphins were right in the middle of coming up on pre-draft. They move out of the number three spot back to 12. The San Francisco 49ers move from 12 to three. The Dolphins then make a trade with the Eagles and they move from 12 to six and the Eagles back from six to 12. Spence, some guys have had their pro days since then and put up some insane numbers. Kyle Pitts from the University of Florida, tight end, uh, I believe ran somewhere in the 4-3, 4-4s. Justin Fields had a pro day at Ohio State and looked fantastic, ran a 4-4-40. Uh, I've heard Jamar Chase running a 4-4. A lot of these guys that are talked about in the top 10, top 15 has put up some serious numbers. Now, I know we're talking about guys running around in shorts with no helmets, um, so I, I don't know what stake you want to put into this, but as far as the analytics and numbers go, uh, the NBA scouts have got to be quite pleased with some of these top guys, some of the numbers that they're putting up at their pro days. Uh, absolutely. And it, it is kind of hard to, you know, whether it should sway you so much one way or the other, but this is definitely one of the most talented drafts I think we've seen in a very long time. Uh, we know there's the quarterbacks and I've kind of scouted through my top 10, and if already I'm looking at, you know, people consider a generational talent in Trevor Lawrence. We'll see if that's true. But even just someone like Panay's, uh, I don't know how to say his name. So, Sewell. Or, yeah, Sewell from Oregon. People say he could be one of the greatest offensive linemen to play the game. He's definitely one of the most athletic offensive guard or, you know, guards that we've seen or offensive linemen. He'll probably be everywhere in his career. They'll plug him and play him wherever they want. Uh, there were some of these screen actions where he was – supposed to uh, chip the edge rusher and go take on a corner. And he was quick enough to do that. In one game, uh, he actually made a mistake. And then he was so mad at himself. They were in the same play later that game. And he fixed himself. He got himself in a better position. He's someone who loves the game of football. And the fact that there's going to be probably three quarterbacks taken, like if, if it wasn't such a quarterback heavy draft, he probably would go number one overall if there wasn't such a big need for that. So I think that's probably the most fascinating part about all of this is that because there's going to be five quarterbacks, that means naturally that some of these players that would be higher in drafts are going to slide down. And those teams have to be ecstatic about that. For Sean Slater, we know Devontae Smith and um, Chase from LSU. I mean, these are guys who are looking to change franchises. These receivers obviously have just wowed us and Chase didn't play, you know, a year ago, uh, but he's still considered the top receiver in the draft and may have been, he probably probably would have gone to the Raiders even. That's how good he was. I don't know how you feel about like how good it is from top to bottom, but holy moly. And uh, even I didn't even mention Kyle Pitts, who you, I think you had just mentioned before was the tight end who is basically just a small receiver. He's like Evan Ingram, but people think that he'll actually have to be a lot more successful for him. Depends on where he goes. Maybe the dolphins, you know, traded up to get him. I'm not sure. Yes, yeah, Spence, I agree with you. I think this draft is extremely talented, uh, especially the first round of the draft. And I'm still convinced. Don't be so surprised that the 49ers didn't move up to three to take one of these playmaking skill position players. Like Kyle Pitts is really talked about as just any, one of the best tight ends to, to ever come out in, in memory at all. So to put him alongside George Kittle, I think could be extremely dynamic in San Francisco. And, and Jamar Chase is, you know, look at the year Justin Jefferson had. And Justin Jefferson was the number two to Jamar Chase on that championship team. So, I mean, look, unless you think 
Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones is like you're giving up tons of, of draft equity for a quarterback when you still have Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. I know that doesn't, doesn't mean anything right now, but what trade do you have in the works for Jimmy Garoppolo? They said they're planning on keeping him, so you're going to have a guy sit for a year and you've got a guy like Pitts, like you mentioned Sewell, you mentioned we talk about Chase. These guys are, are going to are are talked about as being incredible players, like game-changing players right off the bat. So the 49ers, they were devastated by injury last year. They're going to have a lot of guys back healthy. They've plugged in some holes. I would not be surprised if Pitt or someone like Chase goes to three because why you're moving up. And, I mean, let's just look at the first round. I mean, you got uh, the Lions drafting at seven, the Panthers at eight. The Panthers may be a team that were looking for quarterback and looking to move around. So if you were the 49ers and you wanted to get past somewhere, why, why not uh, get past Carolina? Because then what? Did you think Carolina was going to give up even more to move ahead of San Francisco to draft a quarterback? I just don't think that that's how Matt Rule wants to build his team, giving up tons of draft equity when they need a lot more holes filled than just the quarterback position. I think the Panthers were going to stay put at eight. And so the Niners had to jump all the way to three to get a quarterback. I just don't know that I'm buying that right now, Spence. I could be wrong, but it would not surprise me at all if one of these big-time skill position players like Pitts or Chase go off the board of the 49ers at three. It's not like the 49ers aside from second-year wide receiver Brandon Ayuk have tons of guys besides him and Kittle that are going to do a ton of stuff. I mean, they lost some guys in free agency. Uh, they definitely could have used another spark or two in that Super Bowl. Look, look at the Kansas City Chiefs. They don't just have Travis Kelsey. They've got um, Tyree Kill. They used to have uh, – Sammy Watkins, Nicole Hardman, they've got like five, six guys that they feel like can change the game with one touch of the football. So it wouldn't surprise me if the 49ers are saying, hey, we have one of those guys available at three. They will not fall farther than four or five, so we've got to move up to get them. With the quarterbacks, I don't know that you had to do a ton of moving to get a guy that you like, or you could have waited till closer to draft time. But that's just my opinion, Spence. I mean, I, I'm still I still think this Mac Jones at three is absolute nonsense. I think there's a zero percent chance that happens. So I mean, I think with Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner, who we really haven't even talked about too much. Uh, I mean, look, the 49ers, um, they've they're gonna have the pick of the litter. And then, you know, I know I know Dave's rooting for his Dolphins at six to have Pitts. I think that'd be amazing to have Pitts and Mike Gusecki. But look, we, you could start talking about running different offenses now. You, why should we have to put ourselves in a box? Can you imagine having two tight ends that can do what Gesicki and Pitts can do and can block? You can open up your offense so much more with the running game and two tight ends and two tight ends that you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know if they're going to run, if they're going to block, if they're going to catch the ball, if they're going to spread out wide as a receiver. Plus, you have someone – like a Devontae Parker, that's just, you know, talking hypothetically. I mean, look, look at the Falcons. They're eyeing Pitts at number four. You put him with Julio Jones, with Calvin Ridley. I mean, you're talking about a rejuvenation possibly for Matt Ryan's career. So don't be surprised if the 49ers make a move for one of those guys. Yeah, no, you're completely right. It is actually really strange that as soon as they made that move, everybody assumed that it was going to be right. a quarterback. And it's laughable uh, what Mac Jones would be taking there. Now, if this was a very – you know, bleak draft where like last year where, where there weren't really any franchise changing guys, then, okay, maybe you can see someone moving up that high, very much like Daniel Jones. They moved up way higher than people expected just because there's no one else really around that 
he they thought he could be taken at any moment and that they weren't interested in anyone else. But I think they could be targeting the the um, offensive linemen from Oregon. They could go for so many other impact defensive players. I mean, that we haven't even talked about at all either. Uh, it's, I really believe that they will most likely be taking chase at this position. And I feel like with how physical he is, his route running ability, his ability to read the game, uh, I think they will believe it will put them over the edge to go back to the finals. And I'm not hard pressed to say that. And also we have to think about how much pressure there is on the 49ers. We know that the Rams got Matthew Stafford and they're going to be competing with them specifically. It has to go beyond first. They have to make the postseason, and then they have to talent to go over that. If their scouts believe that this guy will be a hall of famer one day, like that's, I think the price of three first round picks, which in reality is two because they're just swapping one of them is nothing to pay for a guy who's going to have that much of an impact on their team. And they, we already know that the 49ers have great offensive schemes. And then exactly. If Kyle Pitts was also the tight end, we'd be seeing an Aaron Hernandez, Rob Gronkowski, maybe all over again. If George not better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way that he would they'd be able to elevate each other's game, I don't know how you guard that team uh, at all. I mean, that might make them unguardable if you can make those 210 offensive sets, which we've only seen basically once ever. <laughs> and remember how the Patriots used Hernandez when he was still around? He, they used him out of the backfield. They used him on uh, end-arounds. He did everything. And, and Pitts is, is more dynamic than Aaron Hernandez was. Both played at University of Florida. So thinking of all the things you can do with Pitts, I mean, he would be on my top three list in the entire draft, especially if you have at least a little bit of answers at some of the other positions. There's so much you could do with this guy creatively that I think coaches, coaching staffs have got to be foaming at the mouth for the opportunity to have this guy on their roster. So it's going to be interesting to see how the top five fall spends. I don't think it's a guarantee that the Niners take a quarterback at three. We'll just have to see how it shapes up. Uh, Spence, as we're wrapping up the show tonight, I want to give you the floor here a little bit and talk about some of the journey you have going on. You've talked to me recently about exploring the chance of getting your first tattoo, and you've become even more enamored with this here in the last few weeks. Uh, this is not something that that I have on my bulletin board to or bucket list to complete. I am currently tattoo-free. I intend to stay that way. But I'm very curious your uh, philosophy on why you've had a change of heart and now you're exploring the possibility of adding uh, ink to the body of Spencer the Wiz. Oh, I see Dave showing off some tattoo action behind oh, you right there okay. too. Yeah, there he is. So I'll actually – I'm curious to ask you first, how come you're not interested in tattoos? Is it something that you feel – doesn't belong on people's bodies or is it a personal decision? What is it? Uh, it's just, I, I don't feel that anything should be passionate enough to be permanently engraved on your body. I feel like personally, if you are pa that passionate about something or enjoy something, there's no reason why you can't have a picture of it in your room, wear a necklace of it or have something that uh, may be, uh, you know, less permanent. I just, I, it's a, re it's a, not a possibility. It's a reality that we will all be old someday. Uh, and very old at that. And, you know, I plan, like I told you, I'm playing basketball in, into my 70s and 80s um, and at least trying to show up at the gym. There's a guy I know that's 100 at the gym. He's about five foot tall. He walks around on a walker. If he was covered in tattoos, uh, they'd be, I guess, an interesting conversation piece. But am I that hard up for conversation where I have to have somebody approach me or socially awkward enough where, okay, I want my tattoo to be a, a talking point. It's just not my thing. I don't think having to have it permanently on there uh, to me, it, it's, it's an, it's an internal thing 
that has to be worked out with the individual. Like we all have reasons and we may justify those reasons with other reasons, but I have my own ideologies on it. And it's just not something that uh, I ever feel will be a need for me to put permanently on my body. Okay. Yeah, no, totally valid points. And, uh, course but I'll, I'll tell you why i got interested so my buddy started getting tattoos i thought they were really nice actually uh but that wouldn't be enough uh for me you know to just get a tattoo just because i thought it looked cool <laughs> on someone else Dave, dave's uh, coming hard <laughs> <laughs> but uh, i actually got interested uh, once i started getting you know understanding about what it is uh, like what our tattoos and what they do uh is artists i think it's a really interesting job to have because as artists, we don't think of them as nine to fives where they kind of have scheduled appointments. Like artists, the greatest of all time, made them on a whim or because of some tragic event. And uh, I think it's really nice. And I think that they all have their own styles. And I think that can create something beautiful for people's bodies. Uh, so I'm getting my first ones uh, in a couple months, actually. I finally have my appointment date. Uh, that I'm going to be emailing tonight to go over with. And uh, I'll show it to you guys. It'll go full screen. Uh, it's actually this scene. Uh, I won't explain what this scene means. It's from a show that I really like. And this moment is my favorite from that show. Uh, but ultimately, the reason that I'm, I'm doing that in particular is because I have a really busy life, a really stressful one, where all these crazy things happen to me. And I have these big upswings and downswings all the time, just like any other human being does as part of being alive. And what I would love to do, it's not going to be in my forehead or anything like that. It's actually going to be above my thigh. Uh, I just want to be able to, in those busy, stressful moments, to just look at it and remember that not everything is so serious. There are these pockets of joy that you've had in your life, and it's something to look down upon and it's also just something doing doing something for yourself, being a little bit rebellious and just kind of having a memory in your body that, you know, come on, like you can get through this. You'll be fine. And uh, there is always joy on the other side. And there's always these other things that these scenes make you happy. So if I ever go crazy uh, and I'll show you a picture of that now, what my ultimate project is and I'm, Brad's going to freak out. Well, I already showed it to him, but it's yeah. this big leg sleeve so each of these uh it's the exact same idea of what i'd be interested in it's these each panel from your favorite shows i'm not sure if this is from the same one if this is like just an empire page but my project and my ideology is to get one from all of my favorite shows and just kind of i besides the fact that i think it looks really really cool uh it would just again kind of perpetuate that idea and i watched a show today called evangelion that's definitely getting one of them and they all mean something else i'll show you some of my other tattoo ideas this is from the same show i haven't decided which of these is my favorite just quite yet uh, and the other one on the right i'm not even sure if i trust an artist to do something that sophisticated but i don't know i, I mean i'm very far from that and then this is the last one uh, i'd actually like those to be opposite of each other one on my shin and one on my calf uh and I mean, mentally, I mean, it takes a long way to say I'm putting a whole sleeve and obviously you can't really hide that very well. Although I think you can wear pants every day. So technically I could. I'm glad uh, Perry thinks that this is a dope idea. I do as well. And uh, this will be a long term. Hold on. I got to ruin your guys uh, bro, bro fest here. I got to call <laughs> Spencer the Wiz out on some of his ideology. One point, Spence, and I've got to call you out on. You talked about your life sometimes being stressful for you or for all of us. And you want to just sometimes look back at something and, and remind you, you know, everything's going to be cool. Spence, I've heard this from other tattoo uh, enthusiasts before. And I just do not believe after the tattoo is on your body for years, when you're sitting around in some of your darkest 
or most challenging times and you take a look at the tattoo and have that inner dialogue with yourself saying, okay, tattoo, I look at you, this is my inspiration or this is uh, my calming place and everything's going to be all right. Give me a break, you guys. Come on. You know what I do uh, or what I need to do when I have stress? It's like you take a deep breath, you say a prayer, you read a book. You don't look at your tattoo and say, all right, we got this. We're going to be all right. We're together. We're all in this for one. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm calm BS on this. Well, I, I think that there's a great point to that. And I think everybody copes. It sounds like what you really need to do, I think, is watch Evangelical. I think it'll, or Evangelion. I think it'll change the way you just look at life. That show, I'm telling you, is a piece of art. T- and, text uh, this to me, Spence. I, I, yeah, I, I sent I you a it. picture. It's, okay. It is an anime. So I, I guess I'll briefly describe it because this is going to be, I think, probably my biggest piece on my leg. I think it's one of the greatest pieces of media ever made. I think it's one of the greatest pieces of art ever made. It's just talking about what it means to be alive, what consciousness means, and what the purpose of living is. So when you think of anime, I, you know, the older crowd, who because it's very popular in my age, it's pretty much a part of the public zeitgeist of people in the Gen Z category. Uh, it's like a big eyes, you know, the classic kind of anime, but this goes well beyond that. And again, I, like you could have a t-shirt of it. You can have all these other things, but having it on your body, I think adds more meaning to it and that you went well above and beyond getting a $20 t-shirt you've invested in yourself. And, you know, if you just get a random tattoo, but even those like really bad tattoos that you'll see some artists do, there's usually some sort of great story behind it. It's kind of like an artifact on on your body and it's a great conversation starter and yes when you're a hundred thousand years old you're probably not gonna it's probably not gonna look the greatest but when you're a hundred thousand years old you're probably not gonna be looking all that hot either you know like how many hundred year olds are going out in the streets looking all crazy and good and at that point you don't even know the technology like laser technology is very recent by the time i'm older if i really really wanted to get off my body first of all i already have the means to do that i can get it lasered it's not gonna feel good it won't be cheap but I don't plan on doing that at all. I think this is something that you could take with you forever, even when you hate it or which I don't think I ever will, because it's, these aren't just like any moments. These are actually my favorite moments. And I'll always remember the first time I watched them. I think experiencing life is one of the most is being and now we're getting all super philosophical. I think, you know, just being alive is experience and like you can never experience it. The first something that you did for the first time twice, you can never have those feelings the same way again. You can try to remember them, but I just think that those are so like, these moments are so important to me. Some of them like in the show, I just watched have just changed the way you can even just perceive life and the way you look at it. And uh, yeah, you can share that with others and have that conversation with people and just enjoy yourself. It's, it's all about being a little bit rebellious because we only have one life. I will say this, guys, uh, on one of the most recent episodes of Shark Tank, there was a um, like a tattoo lotion that was on Shark Tank to kind of make your tattoos a little more vibrant and, and a moisturizer uh, for the for the people that have tattoos and their sales were through the roof. They got to deal with Mark Cuban and uh, it's an enormous business. And this is just the tattoo upkeeping uh, cream business. So, I mean, look, there, there's certainly a market out there. I, I like to be in the minority and I am the minority as someone that does not have a tattoo and never will. So that's something that, um, is important to me at this point in time. And, uh, as Dave Perry mentioned in the chat, all of his tattoos are meaningful. Spencer agrees. They all have reason. All of my underwear and socks are meaningful until they have skid marks and holes and I have to trash them. And then their purpose is no longer served. So, 
Um, look, we, we can put this to anything here. Uh, I, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll take the last word, even though it may not be the popular one on this. No, but in all seriousness, Spence, we all, we all have our own journey. Uh, you know, I, I have great love and respect for you as a person and whatever you do, I got your back and I will support you and be a cheerleader from you from behind here. Uh, I mean, no pun intended there. I'm just, you know, I got your back and, uh, you know, I just had to add a little uh, sure. st- straw in the drink there of the conversation. <laughs> no, I'm glad. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Maybe one day we'll go get tattoos together because you can get, you know, obviously you're not going to get the same thing as me. But I also think that's the great thing about tattoos just in general, too, is that me and another person could actually have the same tattoo, but it means completely different things to us. It's about individuality, which I think is, you know, I was in the military for a while, too, I, for like four or five years. And a big part of individuality is stripping that away from you to like achieve this greater goal. So I think now that I'm retired, I'm I've gone grown so far away from the idea and I want to do everything I can to just make myself me. So I, that's probably another reason why I'm getting a tattoo. Yeah. I know I say never, but uh, let's be realistic. You can never say never in this world. So definitely all doors will continue to be open, uh, but that will do it for our show tonight for Spencer, the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto. And if you miss any part of the show, Make sure that you check out the audio version of the podcast. Download any of the podcast platforms and look under Landry Football Conference Call. The rest stop will be underneath there. Also, give a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer. And then we can you can check us out every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time, www.twitch.tv slash chrislandryfootball. The rest stop will be underneath there also on my Twitter channel at Brad the Believer. I hope everyone has a great weekend. They enjoy the final four, and we'll catch up back with you here on Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Have a great weekend, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.